Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah McGarrow-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. What's going on, San Antonio Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. Today, we're going to be talking about Jalen Johnson in the 2021 NBA draft with a very special guest and my fellow Pounding the Rock writer, Walker Bailey. How are you doing today, Walker? I'm good, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. You're the very first Pounding the Rock person besides myself on the Pounding the Rock pod. We definitely got to change that up. We got to bring more people on from our site. I like reading what you got. We've got a lot of other people who write some great stuff too. So I'm excited to talk draft with you. Let's go ahead and hop into the topic of today, which is Jalen Johnson. So the 2021 NBA draft, it's less than two weeks away. The Spurs have so many options to consider with the 12th pick. I know you like Jalen Johnson. So just sort of talk to me about why you think he makes sense for San Antonio in the lottery and, and sort of just like what you like about his game in general. I'm a firm believer that the Spurs have a lot of like really solid guys built into their core that are like role guys. I don't really think there's a top line scoring option or even a second option on a championship team on this team. So I like Jalen Johnson just because his ability to score and playmake and transition is really, really special. And then he's a plus defender. And, you know, he's really pretty good at everything except the jump shot's not really there. And, like, if you go through his numbers, like, okay, well, he shot 40-plus percent from three, but it was low volume and he shot poorly at the free throw line. So, like, you know, you can kind of two plus two and kind of figure out he's just not a great shooter. The Spurs have a lot of success developing shooters. I just think that it would make a lot of sense if they went that route and then try to develop another jump shot and see if they couldn't get a high-level scorer out of Jalen Johnson because you already know everything else is there. Like, he can defend. He can protect the rim. Uh, he play makes. He gets a great passer. Great ball instincts. He's played, in, he's played in a system at Duke where he's been around a lot of other talent, so it's not like he's coming out of a college system where he's going to have to learn how to play with other players. Uh, he just – I mean, he's already done it. And granted, he left early, and that's a, another discussion, but – you know, I just think his skill set fits what San Antonio needs really well. Yeah, I agree with you for the most part. I think they could probably also find it in somebody like Josh Giddy. Again, his shot is also pretty spotty, so I don't think I would want to bet necessarily. But they're both really young guys, and, and I'll kind of keep it with Jalen Johnson. You know, like you said, he's a dangerous passer and, and driver in transition. He puts pressure on the defense. He can make some solid decisions, you know, find a teammate with by passing ahead, or he can sort of find the shooters. I really like that. I thought he was at his best in transition. And before we really transition to talking about some things that might worry me about his game, you know, I think that he has a lot of grab and go potential where, you know, he's grabbing the rebound, going in transition. Cause like we said, he's best in transition. He's explosive vertical athlete when he's in space or he has like a runway to the basket. And I think maybe there's some upside there that hasn't been completely tapped. Like I know we talk about guys being 
phenomenal athletes. I think he's just a good athlete at this point, but these guys are also young. You know, they, once they get with a professional, you know, sort of strength coach and in the weight training staff, I think that there's some untapped potential there as well. And I like how he uses his body. You know, he's a strong kid. He can take advantage of mismatches in the post. I thought he showed some moves there occasionally. Now he, he wasn't really a great half court offense guy, but he was a really, really good cutter. What did you think about his, his cutting? And what did you think about his utilization as the role man in the pick and roll? Because I thought he was pretty solid, even though it was a sort of small sample size there. Yeah, it, so I mean, but he's pretty good at both things. And the cutting is pretty special too. And kind of we're going back to what you said earlier about not being great in the half court. I think, I mean, that's obviously something that needs to, you know, be developed. But the great thing about the NBA is it's so much more open now and you're going to be out like in open floor a lot more than you are in college. It's not as set like in that half court where you're going to be in sets all the time. He's going to be able to use that athleticism more. And you talked about tapping potential. Well, that's a great way to do it is like change. I mean, it's going to change his style of play and play to his strengths. And, but and yeah, as far as the role man and the pick and roll and cutting and stuff goes, he's pretty good at both things. I'd like to see him roll more. And I think he'll get to it in what's more becoming positionless basketball in the NBA. Cause he'll play a lot of the four too, probably. And cutting off the ball, too, I mean, just, again, like, I mean, playing the four or playing the three, if he's got, you know, small defenders, bigger defenders on him, he's going to be able to find shots and layups and, and quite frankly, passes for and shots for other people just with his off-the-ball movement. And a lot of times you don't see college players knowing how to do that. Like, there's a lot of, you know, there's just a lot of players that are stagnant. You watch college offenses, they don't move. It's a lot of iso ball, and it's, pro- and it's a product probably of just what you see in the NBA. But, you know, Jalen Johnson, and obviously, and this is a Coach K thing. I mean, he just – those are things that they build into their offense. There's no standing around. He knows exactly how to play off the ball. He knows how to play without the ball. And, you know, he's not playing for his own shot. He's playing for the best shot for his team. And that's a really high-quality high thing. And sometimes you can't teach that. Like, it's hard to teach those intangibles. Definitely, definitely. And I kind of want to go back to his defensive potential. So you said he's someone who you think is a really strong defender – how many positions do you think he can guard in the NBA? And, you know, what did you like about his defense in particular? What stood out? Was it the man-to-man defense? Was it the team defense? What stood out to you? I think I think he can guard four. I Like, I'd be hesitant to say he could guard the five. I think maybe, like, down the line. But right away, I'd say he could guard one through four. I mean, he's just – he's a really instinctual defender. He's smart. And then – so, you know, if he, if, he, if he gets beat maybe first step – He's really smart in his next step and recovering, and he's never just truly beat. And then he's really, really, really great at timing shots and blocking shots too and making it really difficult and having strong contests. That's really all you can ask for. You know, I don't – Duke didn't play a ton of zone, and so I don't – and really the Spurs don't either. So if he's slotted here, I don't know how much that would actually be utilized. But his length would be a problem in that – just in that arena too, especially with his instincts, being able to jumping passing lanes and tip balls and just disrupt rhythm. And so, I mean, I think that's where he uses his length and his, and he hits really smart on the basketball court. And I think a lot of that is what plays into what makes him such a strong defensive player. Definitely, definitely. And, and so I, I want to move on to sort of talking about maybe some of the concerns with his game. So we, we mentioned he is a strong defender, but I think he's strong more so in flashes. Like I wasn't 100% buying into what he did. Like, like you said, he has some defensive playmaking potential, 4.5 stocks per 40 minutes. Um, that's really impressive. You know, he's getting his hands on the ball. He's really active. He's got good length. He's 
Um, you know, somebody who showed some really good instincts, especially as like a weak side rim protector. But one of the things that sort of bothered me was the fouls, you know, 4.2 fouls per 40. And a lot of these fouls were not just like him making an effort to stay in front of somebody and, and, you know, oh, well, it's an effort foul, something like that. But there were a lot of lazy fouls, just lazy swipe downs, misguided reach-ins. Um, he undercut players unintentionally, obviously. He's not a dirty player or anything like that, but there were a lot of those fouls. And granted, a small sample size because he didn't stick at Duke all that long. Are those things that worry you at all for the next level? Do you think he's going to be somebody who may not be on the court that much because he's in foul trouble? Well, you know, I think I think it's hard to judge. Like so Jalen Johnson played like probably two thirds of a season at Duke, and he's an 18 year old freshman. I mean, like those are things. Like, and when you're taking an 18 year old freshman with a 12th pick, I mean, there's going to be warts. I mean, you're not getting the best player in the draft. So there's a reason he's going 12. And so I think it's just things like he's going to have to develop the consistency and the motor. And it may even just be like a mental motor. Like, I don't even know that he physically can't do it for an entire game. I just think he's going to like, if he were to land in San Antonio, I just think they'd have to kind of like, they'd have to teach him and help him get into a place mentally where he can sit down and guard and play with that consistent play with, turn those flashes into consistency and turn that into defensive talent. And I'm a believer that he can do that. I don't really put a ton of weight in 18 year olds having struggles against like older college guys and, you know, at Duke or whatever and playing against the highest level of talent. I'm not super concerned about it. I think he's going to be a plus defender at the next level, but I could see where, like, if you were to tell me, Hey, like, I don't like Jalen Johnson because like the defense worries me or like the foul trouble worries me, then I'd be like, okay, I can understand that concern. I just don't necessarily share it. Sure. I think that's, I think that's completely fair to not share that concern. Now you say you think he's going to be a plus defender at the next level. How soon do you think that is? Cause for me, again, there are some things that worried me like the stuff that I mentioned. One of the other things that kind of worries me is his pick and roll defense. He was pretty bad. He was pretty often in no man's land. And then he was fixated on the ball handler. A lot of times lost the role man. And then bam, two easy points at the rim. And he's really not that great against like smaller guards. His feet looked a little heavy at, at times. I don't know if it was so much of an effort thing or if it's an athleticism thing it was sort of hard to tell I wasn't sure how much he even really wanted to be at Duke towards the end obviously he left the program there was a sort of foot injury thing but how quickly do you think if he does become you know a plus defender is it right away or are we looking like pretty far down the line I I think it's somewhere in between I don't think it's right away I think you probably get to year two or three like I mean you can kind of remember too like when DeJounte Murray got drafted, like, I mean, the guy didn't come in and immediately become like this all defense, like level point guard that he is now. And I think it's something like that. Like, I think you'd probably see like year one, he'd probably play and there would be struggles. Like, I mean, just like there was with Devin Vassell or any other rookie who plays in the league, there's going to be struggles. And then I think year two, you would see a jump in year three, he would really be that dude. So, I mean, I think it would, he's a project, he's going to take a minute, but I think by the time you get to that point, I think he's going to be a plus defender. I think it's probably year two. You probably start to see more of that consistency. And then year three, you probably start to see, okay, this is what he is. And if he's not a good defender by year three, then I think it's like, okay, you have to ask the question, is he ever going to get there? Yeah, I think that's that's also pretty fair. I'm not 100% like not sold that he's going to be a good defender. I think he has all the tools to be a good defender. He does have some versatility. I think he'll be guarding threes and fours from day one. I'm not worried about that. You know, he held his own against big men in college basketball. He was for he was pretty physical. He was a physical guy. He didn't back down from challenges. He had good positioning in the post. Not at all scared of throwing his body around. And like, I think that may be a lot of why you get into foul trouble too, is you have to learn, you have to teach him how to do that, you know, 
in a methodical and a smart way. You can't just always be throwing your body around. That's why he got in foul trouble. But there are situations like, I mean, he's not scared to go down with a four or a college five and be like, all right, I'm going to be here and I'm going to bang, like bang bodies with you. Like, you know, he's not afraid of that. And I, and there's, I admire that. Like, that's great. A lot of college kids won't do that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. There's not a lot of college kids are, who are doing that, especially he's 6'9", 220, 6'11", wingspan. I think those are some good measurables. It's not elite length. Um, it's good length, but his frame is really nice. He's got a really, really nice frame. He's not someone who I'm super concerned about on the defensive. And I just sort of wanted to get your, your feel for some of the concerns that might be there. But I also wanted to talk about sort of what happened with the Blue Devils this year. Um, of, of course, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but I'm all for player empowerment, right? Like if a player wants to do what's best for them, especially in college basketball, where it's a system that's exploited players for years, I'm all for it. But does it worry you a little bit that, or not worry you, I think that's the wrong word to use, but do you think Pop in the front office would even really target this guy? I mean, we know that Pop has a good relationship with Coach K because the Team USA basketball. Um, I'm sure there's a little bit of saltiness there with Coach K with how Jalen left the program. You know, if, if anybody's going to be going to anyone for Intel, Pop's going to be going to, you know, Coach K or the people who are doing the scouting are going to go directly to Coach K. Do you think they even target someone like that who doesn't necessarily have the best reputation with the Duke program and Coach K? So, so I think what you have to do first, and this has always been why, is I think you have to, if you really have interest in taking Jalen Johnson, the first thing they need to do is sit down and talk to him. Like talk to the player first, ask him those questions. And then you can come back as a front office in the scouting department and say, okay, here's what the kid told us. And like, here's like how we took his answers. How do we feel about that? Like, does it make sense? Do we even need to go ask Duke yet? And, you know, if you get to a point where it's like, okay, like we're interested in this kid, he's a real candidate at 12. And then you go to Duke and you kind of have, you still, cause you do have to hear both sides of a story. There's always two sides to a story and ask coach K talk to the assistants there, John Shear, whoever else, and just really kind of get the lowdown on like, hey, how was Jalen in a locker room? Like, did his teammates like him? Like, I mean, did he play well with – like, I mean, obviously on court, he didn't have any problem playing with that group. But how was he in the locker room? Like, was he – did people enjoy having him on that team? Like, was it truly just he got hurt and then, you know, kind of mentally got out of it and then left? And – you just have to go. I think you just have to do your due diligence. Like that's kind of all you can say there. Uh, but I don't think it should stop you from exploring and going and looking at that. I think you should probably find out what, like what happened and what went on there before you just are like, Hey, like he had a problem at Duke. Like we're going to not take him. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Now let me ask you this too. So is Jalen Johnson, your definitive guy? Like if he's there at 12, you're taking him before, yeah, obviously, like if the Mobleys, those guys are going to be gone. Like the Mobleys, the Cades, the Jalen Greens, the Suggs, they're gone. Is he your definitive guy at 12? Or are there other guys who you like more than him? No, he's, yeah, he's my guy. I, he's my guy. I'm, because I'm really just kind of on the, I'm in the, or I'm of the frame of mind. They need a big wing. And so that kind of really, at 12, you know, the other big wings that you would really like to have, Scotty, Kuminga, whatever, they're gone. Barring something crazy, they're gone. And then, so that kind of leaves you with Franz, uh, Franz Bogner and Josh Giddy, maybe a little bit, and then Jalen. And, you know, I just, again, I told you I'd rather bet on upside right now with this team. I know they can't really afford a swing and a miss, but they also really can't just afford another role player to come in to throw in the starting lineup that, like, doesn't have top-level talent. Like, they're just kind of – they'll be at a point then where they're extending all these guys that aren't stars, and then you're in trouble. So 
I'd rather take a three-year, like basically a three-year bet on Jalen Johnson and see if he can reach that upside, find the jump shot, find the consistency defensively and become a star than take Franz Wagner, who's like high floor, low ceiling. Yeah, I, I think I think that's a fair point. One of the th- I, I want to talk about this a little bit. We'll stay on this topic for a little bit. So for me, I think you know, opposite sort of what you said that they can afford to take a high upside swing and completely miss on someone just because I'm looking at this roster and I'd love to get your opinion on this too. You know, they don't have the guy. They may not even have the second guy. And I asked this to the last person who was on the podcast. Like you look at the, the Suns roster, you look at the Bucks roster, right? Their third best players are, is the Spurs best player minus DeMar DeRozan as, as good as that player. And to me, the answer is no. So if you end up, you know, swinging on somebody and you miss, I think that puts you in a position where you're, you have to be honest with this roster and you go, okay, well, maybe we don't have that. Like maybe we need to rebuild. What is your opinion on, on the way that this roster needs to be built going forward? Because there are a lot of question marks across the roster. Yeah. I think there's a path to pretty quick competitiveness and like, you can kind of tell the Spurs think so too, just because I mean, you look around and kind of like, okay, they're showing quote unquote interest in Ben Simmons. Like they're, they're in there making those calls. They're talking, they're going to talk to John Collins. They're going to talk to Laurie Markin. And like, they're coming in trying to add dudes to this group. So, it, I mean, they seem to firmly believe that this group is going to be able to do something. So I think, I think you have to look at it in that sense and kind of look at it through the lens of what they believe. And so take a high upside swing and say Jalen Johnson in the draft. Well, okay. So you filled your three there, like you needed your big wing, and they obviously are trying to fill the bigs through free agency. Pirtle got extended. They're talking, are going to try to talk to Laurie and John Collins with a ton of money to spend. Like one of those guys will probably get max, just my guess. So, I mean, I think that they're kind of looking at it now as like, okay, we have a lot of money to play with. Let's, you know, let's try to find that next superstar here at 12 or find somebody that can be a top two option at 12 and then find another guy that can be a two or three option in free agency. And then we're all, and then we're a player away. And then we have a lot of options. We can go a lot of different ways and you have a really solid like foundation built behind those two guys already, because if DeJounte Murray, Derek White, Lonnie Walker, those are your, like, those are your dudes coming off the bench or playing or starters that are your fourth and fifth guy. Like you can win with that. Like you can win with a lot of those guys. They're good basketball players, but they have to find those top two guys or else you're going to get to a point where you're extending role players and you can't really extend role players for long periods of times or for a long period of time and eat into your cap and really have no lead on where you're going to find your top two options. So I think that this off season will tell us a lot about what they think about the current roster and maybe some of the guys on the roster, like, you know, if Ben Simmons would have to be traded for, like who would be floated in those deals? Like, I mean, you could have to move somebody. Like, I think a lot of Spurs fans think DeJounte is untouchable. I don't think that that's true, like at all, really. And, I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I've seen, like, I mean, as soon as the rumors fly, it's like, oh, like, you know, well, listen, DeJounte is untouchable. Like, and it's like, no, he's not. And I'm not even to the point where I think, like, he's our starting point guard on the championship team yet. I just offensively, like I still want to see more, you know, but we're getting to a point where he may just be what he is. And so that's another topic, but yeah, like, I mean, I think that this off season will tell you a lot about where they plan to go. You know, if they decide to really, really push and go for Ben Simmons, which I don't know that it's, I don't know if it's a good idea or not. I think it would probably be fine. I don't know that it accelerates anything, but I mean, I don't know how you play DeJounte Murray and Ben Simmons on the floor at the same time. 
Like, I mean, it just gives you a bunch of weird fits. And I think what they do this offseason will help, and you'll start to see the roster kind of take form, and you'll be like, okay, this is where they're – this is what they see, and this is where they go next. And I think right now a lot of those questions are unanswered, and we're just going to have to kind of wait and see. Yeah, that's – honestly, that's pretty much my opinion on this roster as well, what they should be doing. And I do think we're going to figure out what they think they have in it. Now, what scares me a little bit is it seems like the last couple years they've been absolutely convinced this is a competitive roster. You know, this this, this roster is going to make some noise. And I know we can make excuses all day. We can say, oh, well, you know, COVID or, oh, the injuries – Every team had to deal with that last year. Like going into last season, I had this team 10th, 11th place at best. And that's exactly where they finished. And I know people, again, people want to say, oh, well, look at the schedule. The Grizzlies had the same schedule, literally like 40 games in 68 days. They did it too. They made the plan. And to me, they're in a better position to win than the Spurs are. You know, they got a guy like John Morant. They've got Triple J. They've, you know, they've got some pieces. So they're, they're almost like the inverse of what San Antonio is. Like they've got their top two dudes and they're ready to roll with those guys. They, for whatever reason, haven't been able to fill out the rest of that roster. And that's why they're not as competitive as they are, right? Or as competitive as some of the top tier teams in the West. And so, and that, but where they are is easier to fill out than where we are. Like that's point blank. It's much easier to find the guys on the back end than it is to figure, find the top of the rotation guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and what I'm hoping this season, and I want to try to be optimistic. I'm sort of in the same boat with you where I'm not sure that any of these guys just aren't who they are. They're not just high end role players or coming off the bench. You know, I hope that they, they prove me wrong. I hope that they prove us wrong. You know, hope maybe someone takes a leap. But for me, you know, we always, it's funny. We refer to these guys as the young core, right? Well, DeJounte is going to be 25 here soon. Derek White's already 27. Yaka Pirtle's 25. And the only guys who are really young are Lonnie Walker, Keldon Johnson, and Devin Vassell. I mean, if you want to throw in Trey Jones in there, you can. I'm not 100% sold. He's going to be a backup point guard if he can't learn to shoot even a little bit because Teams have pretty much ignored him completely when he has been in the game. But like Devin Vassell isn't a high usage guy, right? And Lonnie Walker hasn't shown much. So what are we looking at? Well, and the worst part is, is Lonnie only feels playable when shots are going in. And like, that's not the type of guy, like if he's not, like if shots are not going in, what else is he going to give you? And there's nothing, like it's like nothing. And that's why I was kind of like, you know, I saw I saw something on Twitter like, oh, like we're gonna trade Demar, we're gonna sign and trade Demar Derozan to give you Lonnie Walker. I was like, guys, if I can see Lonnie Walker is not valuable to this team, whoever's in another front office who is much smarter than me can see that Lonnie Walker is not valuable. Like, um, I mean, yeah, and just I think that I think that Spurs fans have to come to terms with the fact that this roster may get blown up in the next few years. Like, a lot of these guys you've come to love may not be here. I mean, they may trade them. They may just send them somewhere else. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going to be it's going to be really tough. And, and again, like I hope that they prove me wrong. I hope that somebody takes a leap, maybe, you know, without DeMar DeRozan and Patty Mills or Rudy Gay and all those other guys who, who are going to be coming off contracts. Maybe these young guys get the touches and and the shots that people seem to be convinced that they need to take that leap. And of course, they're going to need that to take the leap. We're, we're, we're not going to know what they are until they get that. But what I've seen so far, at least from my perspective, is they're, the guy isn't on the roster. And, and we can hope all day that that happens. And I sincerely do hope that it happens. But from what we've seen, you know, I, I don't think we can definitively say just because they're going to get the touches and the opportunities means they're going to be the guy. And I know people love to use the, oh, well, you know, Tony did it, you know, Manu did it, you know, well, those are completely different situations. Again, like you had a guy like Tim Duncan, foundational cornerstone for any franchise. You throw him on any franchise, he's automatically a cornerstone that affords you so many more luxuries than when your cornerstone is DeMar DeRozan. And this, that guy may not even be back next season. And that could be a really rude awakening. Like even with the touches that they get, like I said, that we're going to figure out what they are, 
And that may not necessarily mean a positive thing. Hopefully it does, but that may not tell us what we wanted to hear. Yeah. So, I mean, it's almost like in a term and a term that I've used for my baseball team, it's almost like an evaluator. Like it's kind of where you're at. Like, I mean, you kind of, you may roll into this year and I think they're going to try to spend money this off season. So I don't know that this happens, but I think, I think it's okay if this roster is run back without DeRozan and you get, and you lose a lot, but you find out what you have. Like, that's okay. Like, I think like, that that is better than running back what they did last year and finishing in 12th overall like that's a better scenario and i think worst case scenario though is that this that the front office decides hey bring demar back and we'll let's go sign a bunch of middling role players and like try to fill this roster out and make it deeper i we still think it can win that is worst case scenario because then you get contracts tied up you don't have a championship team you're just adding a bunch of extra cogs in a very large wheel. And I think that I, so I think that the, I think they're all role players, like the young core. I think that's role players. I think for the Spurs to be a championship team, Keldon Johnson has to be their third option. Like that's gotta be their third guy and everyone else falls behind him. So, and then you have to find those two top two guys. I think Keldon can be a third option. Like, I mean, last year was year one for him basically. And he was really good. <laughs> so I think if you were betting on a jump, it has to be him, I think. Although I don't know what else he can give you that he didn't already give you. But if you were betting on a jump, I guess it would have to be him. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think if you are betting on a jump, it's probably going to be Keldon Johnson. Uh, and, and even that, like, I don't mean to sound pessimistic, but like a lot of the things that he doesn't do well, they're hard to just get good at. You know, like he's his, he mostly a stationary shooter, but he wasn't good at shooting, you know, from – a stationary position like his standstill shooting was not great um he's not a great dribbler he doesn't really create for himself well that's going to be hard to get better at like hopefully this team usa experience he's soaking up everything he can learning all the tips and tricks he can but there are certain physical limitations that certain players have like we just got to hope that he develops those things but i like him a lot i like a lot of the young guys and we'll sort of hop back to jalen johnson you know, how, how do you think that if he's on this roster, he fits? Like, is he somebody who's playing from day one? Or for me, he has to. Like, I don't know what the Spurs are thinking. For me, he has to. I think he's got to play. I, I think that the number of minutes is probably determined by what he does once he gets here, if that makes sense. And so what he does in training camp, what he looks like, you know, physically, is the foot healthy, like all that stuff. Um, so I, I think that he'll determine how many minutes he gets. But I think, yeah, he's got to be in your rotation from day one. You're kind of at the point where, you know, you could throw a kid in the G League for a year when you're drafting 29th. Like, when you're drafting 12th, like, you're drafting the guy that's got to come in and play. And you saw that with Vassell last year. Like, he came in. It's probably going to be pretty light on minutes early. But, I mean, by the end of the year, he was playing a lot. And so, I mean, I think that's kind of the same thing. You have to, you have to expect that for Jalen Johnson. And – I, you know, I hope that we can get to a point where him and Keldon can start and play together. Like, I hope that that's where we can get and really honestly play pretty small. And then if you want to play Pirtle at five, fine. That's not what I would do. Like, I have my own thoughts on what I would do. But, um, like, Pirtle off the bench is fine. If it were up to me, like, in three years, you're starting, like, you're Jalen Johnson's a stud and he's starting at your four with John Collins at your five. And like, I, I think the Spurs are going to offer some pretty serious money to Collins and it's not going to be about contending in year one. It's going to be like, Hey, listen, like we'll give you your five-year max. We're going to be contending in year three of that contract. You're just going to have to buy into our vision. 
And so I think that's kind of where I would go, but I don't know. Like, I mean, I, I really don't know what San Antonio's going to do, but to answer that question, yeah, Jalen Johnson's got to play right away, like right away. He like, I mean, he's got to be, you know, 18 minutes a game early and develop throughout the course of the year because of those on-court experiences to the point where he can be playing a lot more minutes at the end of the year, especially if someone like Rudy Gay is gone, like someone's got to fill the, fill his minutes anyway. So, you know, you have to come in and, be productive like I mean I think and I think any reasonable fan will expect growing pains like I expect growing pains and that's okay like I want like kids it's going to take these kids time to grow especially when they're 18 especially when they're early he'll be 19 I guess when he starts his rookie year but still like it's I mean it's a hard game yeah I mean and learning on the fly is so important and I think like I, and and I don't I don't want to say like I think Lonnie and and uh, like Vassell and and Dejounte and Derek through the years like them being yanked from games obviously like that's that's Pop's prerogative like if he wants to do that he's going to do that but I do tend to believe that with these young guys especially when they're coming in so young like letting them learn on the fly is going to be the most important and so like when when they are in the G League I do think there's an there's something that they can gain out of that, you know, being the number one option, getting to do whatever, pretty much whatever they want without being yanked from a game. But I do think it's just not the same value as it is in the NBA. And, you know, I'm going to be excited to see how they handle Jalen. And I also want to kind of get this out there, but what does it mean for Luca? Like, what does it mean for Luca Shamanich? Like, is he a dude who's, who's going to be playing next year? Like, I don't want to focus on this too long, but I'd love to get your thoughts on Luca because we don't talk about him much on the pod. Yeah, I just kind of – it's at a point now where I just am not betting on Luca to give you anything super, super productive above maybe like an off-the-bench guy, like role player. Like, I, I think that a lot of people were hoping he was your starting three or starting four for the future. Like, that's not an option to me anymore. He lights up the G League, which is crazy, but when he plays in the NBA, like, there's flashes. But, like, it's flashes of, like, just, like, one or two things. There's never anything consistent and sustained. And, I mean, we're getting to a point – if he becomes a bench guy and you, he develops into a like significant role over the course of over the course of his career, like off the bench, like that's a good thing. Whatever, like you got something out of him, and it's kind of weird. So like we we wrote about this a little bit in our last piece for PTR, and so Brian Wright's gone completely domestic, pretty much drafting, and the only guy he's gone Euro with is Luca, and. If that doesn't work out, like, I wonder if it's like, all right, listen, like, we're not drafting in the top five, and we seem to be striking out every time we take a Euro, because you remember they took uh, Malutinov, too, and he was a complete bust. Like, Yeah, I think, like, with him, at least, I know that they intentionally drafted him with the idea that he was going to stay overseas so that they could afford someone like LaMarcus Aldridge. Like, overseas, he's a top five center. He's one of the best centers overseas, and they never bought him over. But, like, Livio Jean-Charles, now that's a guy who was definitively a bust, right? Like, he wasn't good. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, like, I mean, they've, it would get to a point now where it's like, all right, listen, we're having a lot of success domestically. Like, let's just stay here. Like we're scouting well here. We're drafting talent well here. I mean, you look at the guys they've drafted, they've all carved out significant roles. I mean, not superstars, but they've carved out roles and that's a win. You just have to, you have to find a way to, to get that next dude. And if, if you're, if the Spurs decide the way to get that next dude is, us just punting on free agencies, saving that cap room or whatever, and being really bad next year and getting that dude through the draft, and then we'll play in free agency right after the draft, and then all of a sudden we're going to do one of those quick turnaround type things. Sure. Like, that's – a that's there you go. 
you walk in and say, listen, walk in. I don't even know what the free agent class looks like after this year, but walk into player X's house and say, listen, we drafted number three overall last year, but we've got these guys lined up who now we know what their roles are. We know definitively what they can do. And we also just drafted player Y who's looks like a generational type talent. And next year's draft will have generational talents like promise. It's, it's strong. It's super strong. And then you've got this generational talent and it's like, listen, we can come in pair you with this guy. And now we've got five years to go in because if he, these type guys are impacts immediately. We may not win in year one, but year two, year three, as this kid develops, we're going to be ready to go. Like we're going to be right there. And anything that we need to add, we can add by year two or year three of your, of your deal. And so I think that like, that's a big re I think that that's, that's why like, I don't like. I don't think you can bring Demar back. Like, I think you either are evaluating talent, adding someone different, and trying something new next year, or you're just really bad next year. Like, I think it has to be one of those three. But I don't think you can run back like Demar and Rudy Gay and bring him back and be like, okay, listen, like we're gonna do the same thing again. Like, you can't do that. No, you can't. I, I am really there with you. Yeah, no, I don't think you can do that. I don't think it helps you anyway. I think it can. It keeps you stagnant. You're still sort of mediocre, which is like the worst place in the NBA. But you could even go as far as to say it would hurt this franchise. Yeah, like long term. Yeah, you're wasting a year of everybody's development. You're wasting a year of Pop's close to his career. You're just wasting everything. Like, don't do that. <laughs> like, let him go. Try something different. You know, I and on it. Quite honestly, I'm not bringing Rudy Gay back either. Even if you want to try something different, like I think you have to let him go too. Especially if you're drafting wings, which it seems like I think the Spurs are either going to go they don't seem to be talking to like any big men. It seems all guard wing type stuff. So I, you know, I think, I don't think you can bring Rudy Gay back and clog those minutes, like leave those minutes open and let those kids develop at the NBA level instead of the, instead of the G league level, which honestly, that may be where Luca got lost to be honest. Like, I mean, that may be where he got lost. Like he never got to play at the, at the NBA level and he went down to the G league and dominated a bunch of guys that are never going to play in this league. And then he came up and like he had already been down for what a year and a half before he finally stepped foot on an NBA floor. He looked good when he came back, though. I'm not gonna lie, he did look pretty solid when he came back, like a functional role player. But one of the things, like I, I know we keep saying that, uh, like he dominated, but I think it's really important for like fans or not just fans, really just anybody who's watching the G League to notice was he didn't really dominate those guys. Like the numbers suggest that he did, but he's one of those guys in the G League, you know, 22, 11, two assists per game, but three turnovers per game, 44% from the field, 27% from three. That's bad. Those are bad. That's bad efficiency. And that's a lot of turnovers. Like uh, as someone who was there, like not there, you know, I wasn't in the, the G league bubble or anything, but as someone who was covering the team, like it was quite clear, he was putting up numbers, but not on good efficiency. It's not like he was really dominating. Right. And so I think it misled people who were like, Oh yeah, this guy's been dominating the G league. And so when he came back, people thought he would be better than he is, but I'm right on board with you when you said earlier, like, if he ends up just being a bench guy, I think that's that's fine at this point because I'm not sure that he really has a whole lot more in his game. I know like people like to say he can put the ball on the floor, like he can a little bit, but he's not he's not doing anything special that in that regard. And I think a lot of people are still like waiting on him to like develop into this starting three or four that's going to put the ball on the floor and be like this, you know. I don't even know what like, I don't even know what people are looking for anymore. I just think again, and I have the same conversation about Ben Simmons. I think Spurs fans have got to re reframe the conversation about Luca and understand like what he is 
And if there's a scenario, there's a scenario where he is just as likely in two years to be out of the league as he is to be a functional player on your team. You just have to cheer for the functional player route now. Like you, you don't want him out of the league. That's a wasted first round pick. Like just functional player. If any, any, any role where he's functional and plays on this team when they're good is I think you're just like, okay, like, it's not what we wanted when we took him, but like knowing what we know now over the last two years, like that's fine. Yeah. And for me, the swing skill for him is three point shooting, right? Like he was branded as a three point shooter coming into the league, but he really wasn't in overseas. He wasn't shooting good percentages. He hasn't shot good percentages in the NBA or the G league. So for me, if he never develops that shot, that's the thing that's going to keep him out of the, like he's gone, you know, he's gone by the end of this contract. He's at, he has a pretty shot. Like, I mean, it's not like it's ugly. Like, it just doesn't go in. Like, it's not like the shot's broken. Like, it, the shot's pretty. Like, fundamentally, it, it should work. And it just – he just can't find – he can't find bottoms. And that may be, again, just – he needs to shoot more of them, both off the court – like, or not off the court, but off the court game-wise and also in – like, just get shots up. Like, spend time with Chip. Like, spend some – spend a ton of time with Chip and get shots up. Because even if he just turns into a, a three and D guy, like off the bench, like where all he does is shoot 38% from three and play effective defense, then that's all you need. That's like the, I mean, there's, there's, that's a role. Like, I mean, people get paid a lot of money to do that now. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's almost like a, a sort of a tall ask. And the reason that I'm sort of skeptical on his shooting is you go back even to his like first professional years overseas, you add in his G League games, you add in his NBA minutes. Combined, there's over 500 attempts from three there. So that's a pretty good volume. It's sub 30%. I mean, it's just not good. It's just not good. Just got to keep shooting and pray. Keep shooting and pray. Pray that the light turns on at some point. I mean, that's all you can do. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. That, there isn't really a lot else we can do but hope that he sort of is working on his game. But let's before we sort of close things out, let's talk about, you know, Pop in the front office, they're notorious for not making trades, right? But do you think in this class in particular that there's any chance they sort of buck that trend, move up in the draft? And if so, you know, what, what does that look like and who are they targeting? Like what player are they going to go grab? Who do they want? That's option one for me. Like, yes, I like Jalen at 12. Option one for me is to move up. So, and if you follow me on Twitter, you know this. I'm a Scotty Barnes guy, like through and through. Like, we'll die on that train that he is an all star. And I think that you, ha- if you're trading up, it looks like you're probably targeting OKC because OKC, there's not really anybody that fits that roster right there. Like, I mean, you're not going to get any of the guards more than likely. And so I think you're probably trying to move up to around five ish and targeting either Kuminga or Barnes because it fits your big wing role. The offense still has to be developed a little bit for both guys. And you're getting a plus defender. You're filling You're filling and hoping you can develop what looks like can be an all-star. So for me, it's like, I mean, you're finding a way to – and I don't know what the package looks like. If it, The rumors are that OKC wants to move back anyway, so it may just be flipping them 12 and maybe flipping them a future second or something. Like It may not even take a whole ton because it looks like they're trying to move back anyways. So you move up there and I would take, I like, I want Scotty Barnes. Like that's my dream scenario for the Spurs. Cause to me, he's already so good at everything. The question is offensively, is he going to develop enough to be that all-star caliber player? 
he averaged 23 points a game per 100 possessions. Like the dude's not even bad on offense. Like, it's just like, is he going to get to a level NBA wise where he's that, like he's going to be 23 points a game at the NBA level. And like, I get that. Um, The shot is pretty, I think more work with chip and the three point shooting becomes a really big tool there. And I I mean, I think he can shoot 35 to 37% from three. I mean, he's going to be an all an all NBA level defender. He's six nine over seven feet on the wingspan, I think. So I mean, I just like yeah, and then yeah, and and he's a playmaker. He understands how to play. The Florida State guys always because of the system they play in. They always come in underutilized. Like we saw Vassell do things this year that you never saw him do in college. I mean, just because of the way they play in college at Florida State. That's like why guys like Patrick Williams climbed in the draft last year. Like it's just they just don't do a whole lot there and so scotty's my ideal scenario um i think more likely is to stick at 12 and take somebody but i think a trade up would look like trying to trade to trade to five or maybe target like cleveland at three on draft night if mobley goes and they don't want to take another guard like if they want to stick it out with colin sexton and they don't want to take another guard then you uh then maybe you try to move to three and do something like that and still take Scotty or Kaminga. But like if I had a big board, Scotty's two. <laughs> like if I had a yeah, if I had a big board, Scotty's two. Yeah. I and like I think the ceiling could be higher than Cade. I just think Cade's a more sure thing. Like I think Cade is one hundred percent a good point guard. Like I don't think that there's a scenario where he doesn't end up being a good to great point guard in the league. I just think, you know. Scotty for me is behind, right behind Cade. I, I'm not a Suggs believer, and I like Jalen Green and Evan Mobley. I just think Scotty's got a much higher ceiling, and like I think he's going to get there ceiling wise. Well, that's that's definitely interesting. I, I can't say that I have the same board as you, but I mean that's sort of the beauty of of everybody having their own opinions, right? Like I've seen people have someone like Josh Giddy as high as five. I don't have him at five, but again, if you if you look at it and that's what you think, then I think it's cool to have everybody having different opinions because it co- sort of gets boring when everybody has the same opinion on the same guys, it's cool that you're high on Scotty, someone who I'm really high on, obviously uh, Evan Mobley. Like, I think if, if you are at three, I don't, I don't think you can pass on Evan Mobley. I think he's a perfect fit for the roster. I don't think, and this is nothing against Yaka Pertle. I think Yaka Pertle's fantastic. He's very impactful. I think he can be an elite backup, but if you're looking at Evan Mobley, I think that's your starting center and he can be your starting center for a really long time. I think he, easily has all-star potential. He's got a lot of defensive versatility. He'd come in and be one of those guys who can potentially guard on the perimeter as a big. There's not too many of them, right? You've got guys like Bam Adebayo, Anthony Davis. And I think he has that sort of ability with his lateral mobility, with his foot speed, with his length, his athleticism. So I like him a lot. I think he has a good shot profile, good rebounder, not a particularly physical kid, but I think people are probably overlooking like I've seen some people say oh he doesn't have like the work ethic oh he's really slender that doesn't really I mean that doesn't bother me I don't really buy into the work ethic thing at all but um yeah I mean there's a lot of kids in this class and next next year's class who I'm really interested to see I just want to see the Spurs get back on track like honestly that's my one my one hope because covering a team that's losing you you can get attached to guys and you like guys but it's so much more fun to be covering a team when they're winning basketball games yeah if they can find a way like it's for me like I'd if I were the Spurs, I mean, it'd be trying to find a way to flip and move up and get and get Scotty and then sign Collins and then be like, all right, time to go. Like, let's go. Let's go see what we've got now. Like, we've got a bunch of young dudes. We're super young, have a bunch of really good players here. Like, well, not really good, but a bunch of good players here. Like, let's go see what we got. And then year two, you're still going to see be able to see what you got. And then it's like, all right, now we can 
now we can add and tinker and do whatever else, like figure out what we need. And if you're bad, the plus is you're going to be right back up there again next year, taking another, taking another dude. So, you know, like, but I think that's the route that I would probably go with it and then just kind of tinker and add and see what goes on. I think it's going to take a max to get Collins though. So that'll probably rub some people the wrong way. If the Spurs end up giving Collins 35 million a year or whatever it would end up being. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not like the biggest Collins guy, but I do think like at least I try to remind everybody once on the podcast because John Collins comes up every single time I'm on, you know, every time we talk on this podcast, the max for him is starting at 28 mil, like just with his service in the league and like his accolades that they, they use to determine your max, it'd be 28 mil the first year and it goes up by about two, three mil each year. So by the end of that, I don't think it's like unmanageable. But I would be hoping for more. I don't want to get too much, you know, into Collins. But before I let you go here, um, do you have any sort of other thoughts on the Spurs, their roster, the coaching, Team USA, anything, you know, anything that you want to talk about before we go? I mean, no, not really in particular. Like, I'm just kind of sitting and waiting for this offseason and seeing what's going to happen. Um, you know, I think the Simmons thing is really interesting because I think the Spurs kind of lack their primary creator offensively. And so I think Simmons could initiate and be that guy. But with that being said, like, I don't know how you get him without mortgaging this team's future. So that's kind of like what it would take to get Simmons. You would have to like, if you told me they traded DeJounte Lonnie and two first round picks, I'd be like, okay, I can, I can, I think I can see that. Like, and then you have money to play with, you know, then you're talking about replacing DeJounte with Simmons and add John Collins, add whoever else, like yada, 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 whatever. And then all of a sudden, okay, now we've got whatever's left of those core dudes and, you know, and keep going. Like, but yeah, no, I mean, I think it's just going to be there. They have so many options this offseason. I think it's just going to be really interesting to see how they do it or, and how they manage it. Um, knowing the Spurs, we definitely can't predict what they're going to do, but I kind of expect it to be pretty bland and straightforward. I don't think it's going to be a ton of flair and like headline grabbing type stuff. So um, other than maybe Collins or Laurie, and if they sign Laurie, I think that's like, I think Laurie's gotten a bad rap over the, over the last few years. Like, uh, like the whole, oh, he can't even start for the Bulls thing. Well, they got Vujovic. That's why he didn't start. Like, they play, they're the exact same player, basically. They can't both play at the same time. So, I just think it'll be interesting to see how they go. I think that they – I think if you had to make me make predictions, they take a wing at 12 and they – maybe not max, but they sign either John Collins or Laurie Markkinen for big money. And I think that's that would be my prediction today. Yeah, that's not a bad prediction. There's a lot of stuff to look forward to this offseason. I mean, we talked about it earlier, but like this is this could potentially be a franchise, you know, trajectory defining offseason. So there's a lot to look forward to. But before I let you go here, you know, I, I want you to go ahead and plug anything that you, you've been working on. Let people know where they can find you on social media, where they can find your content. So you can follow me on Twitter at Walker Bailey eight and then I'll be kind of finishing out a draft series over the next 11 days with Bruno and that'll be on poundingtherock.com. Uh, so you can find that there and then kind of working through some things, but I'll have, so me and buddy of mine, I'll have a college hoops podcast starting in August and we'll kind of chop it up there. Um, so I'll kind of plug all that through my Twitter and kind of once we figure out exactly what's going on there, we'll, um, you can, you'll find that there. But it's going to be cool. Um, we've already lined up players and stuff like that. We're going to do some of the NIL stuff and really kind of get into it and do some stuff that people hadn't seen before. And so hopefully take a whole new angle to it and talk some draft stuff there. So if you're a Spurs fan, like, I mean, that's going to apply to you next year. This team likely is going to have to pay attention to the draft for the next few years. So um, 
you know, follow all those things. And that's all I got. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And, and thanks again, everybody who tuned in for this edition of Alamo City Limits. And for everybody listening at home, make sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. We've got a fantastic staff of writers, including Walker over at Pounding the Rock, who do an amazing job of keeping everybody up to date with their favorite team. So check our stuff out. But until next time, take care, Spurs fans.